Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. True or false, Walmart has eye care. True. Stop by Walmart to save and browse top designer frames right where you already shop. And they accept most insurance. Welcome to Easy Eye Care. Welcome to your Walmart. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Highway to Hoover podcast, the official podcast of SEC Extra over at D1Baseball.com. And hey, we have some actual games to talk about. How about that? First weekend recap episode of Highway to Hoover. Before we jump right into it, because we got a lot of ground to cover today, I have to let you know that Highway to Hoover is sponsored by Brock's Gap Brewing Company in Hoover, Alabama. Mark and I are looking forward to spending some time there at the SEC tournament. We hope you are, too. And if you're local and around the Hoover area, the Birmingham metro area, stop by, check out Brock's Gap Brewing Company. Thanks again for their partnership. We greatly appreciate it. Looking forward to continuing to work with them. Mark, it was a weekend. We had some baseball to watch. Well, the long off season is over. You and I both got out to the ballpark again. That's always a nice thing. Just how was it to have that rhythms of your life be dictated by the college baseball schedule once again? <laughs> yeah, it's it was a lot of fun just to get back in the routine. Yeah, there's so much going on, and and with the way that the season transpires now, you've got so many games you're trying to follow and trying to keep up with everything going on around the conference, around the country. So it, it's great that we have this forum, this with SEC Extra, with D1 Baseball, collaborate and find out what did we miss this weekend. What did we? What did we? What do we need to dig deeper on? What do we need to figure out? What did we learn right from this weekend? And let's talk through that and try to try to reach some consensus here. It's a good call. It's, it's like being a part in a way. It's like th- these teams are all in their first weekend, obviously. So they're still kind of figuring out some things about themselves and their teams and all that kind of stuff. And, and in my coverage, I felt a little bit that way too, just getting back into when I traveled to a game and I traveled locally this weekend. It's not like I got on a plane or made a long car ride or something, but just keeping up with games while I'm tr- while I'm on the road and while I'm in mm-hmm. another game and like getting back into that rhythm, it always takes me some time and that'll get better as we go. But it, I did feel like I had to do a lot of downloading information today, yeah. just getting caught up on, on where we are. And thankfully, there's about half the league played in games that were you really had to be glued to and about half the league didn't. So it made it a little bit easier that we weren't mm-hmm. trying to keep up with quite as much as we will in, in some subsequent weeks made it a little bit easier. But regardless, there was plenty to get to. So let's jump right in and yeah. let's start with Tennessee, actually. It's where you start. By the time many of our listeners listen to this, you will have a the first edition of a weekly piece you're going to have out called Weekend Dish, which kind of recaps the weekend that was in SEC baseball, a fantastic read. If you are a fan that needs to download the weekend that was in SEC baseball, I highly recommend it. That's probably the quickest way you could do it and get a really thorough recap of everything that happened. So you let off with Tennessee in that piece, and I know because I read through it before it went up. That's the the spoils of working with Mark Etheridge. You get to read the stuff before it goes up. And it was just generally a tough weekend, on the at least in terms of the wins and losses, dropped a really well pitched well-played game to Arizona to start the weekend that was a fun watch I got back home in time to watch a lot of that one 
and then dropped a game to Grand Canyon. Sounded like and looked like a fantastic atmosphere on GCU's campus. Talked by that. They do support that baseball program really well there. I went to a game there a few years back and was impressed. And then they got a win on Sunday against UC San Diego, got back on track and righted the ship at least to get a win out of the weekend and head back home. It was a newsy weekend on top of that. There was the news, obviously, Maui Ahuna, not eligible after transferring in from Kansas. That was just dropped in our laps on Friday. And look, I, I don't, I would refer you back to some of the local reporters there on kind of the, that ongoing situation, at least at this point, because it, it worked all a little bit in the dark as far as that goes. And the NCAA works in mysterious ways. And I don't, I, long story short, he's been transferred for a while now. So I'm not yeah. entirely sure what the deal is, but none of us really do. So that that is is what it is. And anyway, th- that's me filibustering. But Mark, give me your just kind of Cliff Notes version on what you felt about what you saw from yeah. Tennessee this weekend. A couple of things. I guess first off with Maui, I mean, we had a lot of people transfer this year and he's the only one not eligible. At least that's the one that got publicized anyway. If others are ineligible. We didn't hear about it. So it's, it's really an odd situation because... At least I hadn't heard. I didn't expect any kind of lingering effects to the transfers. So that was a bit of a surprise Friday. And then Tennessee goes out and they could have stayed home and played a weaker competition like a lot of their conference mates did, but they didn't. They challenged themselves, faced a very good Arizona team and lost, and then faced a very good Grand Canyon team and lost, and then rebounded on Sunday with a shutout victory. But there's several ways you can look at this. Very good offensive club a year, well, great offensive club a year ago, right? And most of those guys are gone. It was a very power-laden lineup. And the thought was that they were going to have a similar type of approach this year as well. Those ballparks that they played in are not really great power-hitting ballparks this weekend. So... I'm curious to see what's going to happen once they return to Lindsey Nelson, which is definitely hitter's park, and they're able to, to, to gel, have a little more time with their teammates, a whole new starting lineup from a year ago, and getting all of their pieces together. We mentioned Maui who didn't play, but Griffin also didn't play. And uh, he played on Sunday, ended up hitting in the five hole. I don't think he did much. But it, having him back in the lineup, is certainly a boost because that's those are your guys that you projected to have all, all offseason. Pitching-wise, early in the year, starting pitchers don't go as deep. And I think once you stretch guys out, that's certainly going to be a, a, an advantage for a team like Tennessee because their rotation is arguably the best in the country. Certainly on paper, is the best in the country returning. So all of those things, it, if you ask me, am I worried? No, but I'm a little bit... Um, I guess I'm a little bit more curious. I have more questions about the lineup than maybe I did before. And I'm also just kind of wondering about the bullpen a little bit. They had so many bullets to go to a year ago, and they've still got some good ones. How is that going to shake out? Who's going to be those guys that they really turned to after the that great rotation that they had in the seventh, eighth inning after those guys leave? So those are some questions, and I don't think we got those answered this weekend. And it's the first weekend. You're not expecting them. But that's where I am with balls right now. I think all of that is fair. And just to quickly clean something up too, I failed to mention mm-hmm. this. With Ahuna coming over that Tennessee did report a level three violation with Ahuna's recruitment. Basically, they, long story short, booked him a plane ticket before transcripts made it from Kansas to Tennessee. When you're doing this stuff with transfers, you have to, there's an order of operations and you, yeah. know, you have to follow them. Now, level three violations are common. They're minor. Schools 
most often report them voluntarily because they are minor and common and they know that the punishments are light as it was in this case. So I'm not saying that is a counterpoint to, to what you said, because I think that, at least for me, I thought there was a perception of, okay, there, there might've been an issue there, but that's done and dusted and we're all good there. I guess for me, it's just confusing, right? You have all these transfers, everybody all across the country, and then there's one guy with a problem. I don't, I don't understand. And maybe I don't need to, but that's just where that, that was my initial response to this. Oh, wow. We didn't know anything about this. And hopefully yeah. he's back next week, a great player. Absolutely. Yeah. Fun player to watch. And th that program is covered pretty well locally and in Knoxville, I'm sure in, in, in the media gets mm -hmm. it's a decent amount of time with that staff and those players. So I, I assume there will be further questions asked and hopefully answered as time goes on to the extent that there are answers at this point. Because again, if Tennessee is waiting on a clearance, they may not exactly know mm -hmm. timetables or what the deal, any of that stuff. So we will just have to monitor that situation. But yeah, I think I, I agree with you there. Just generally the pitching pitched well enough to win each of the first two days, generally speaking, especially the starters. And it speaks to how high the expectations is are for that group that it feels underwhelming when really they pitched well enough to win and just yeah. line up hit 258 for the weekend. And that includes a comfortable seven nothing win on Sunday where they swung the bats a little bit better. So we can surmise that it was lower than that over the first two games of the series. But we will we will continue to I too am not worried, but I'm with you in that I will be looking probably a little more closely at this Tennessee lineup in the weeks to come. So let's let's move it a little bit, I guess, east in this case, because they were playing out in Arizona. We're going to talk about Globe Life Field. A quick recap of where we are with the SEC teams there. And I say that in part because we are recording this as Missouri is playing TCU up three to two in that when I came, at least when I walked into my office to start recording this podcast. Um Six two now, yeah. TCU's. This is an SEC podcast, but my big takeaway from that tournament is like we are underrating TCU. Probably <laughs> they look excellent this weekend. Holy moly! But again, it's an SEC podcast, so we will move on from that. But shout out to the Horn Frogs; they look very good. So, just a quick kind of recap of where we are: Arkansas goes two and one, a win against Texas, three to two, a loss to TCU, eighteen to six, and then beat Oklahoma State today, eighteen to one presumably because they were very angry about getting beaten by getting 18 runs put on the day before Vanderbilt also two and one, they lost to TCU, but what's new 11 to four, they beat Oklahoma state 11 to nine. That one got a little bit nervy at the end there and beat Texas Sunday, 12 to two Missouri got the thing started by losing to Oklahoma state five to three in a pretty well-played game. I thought Mizzou handled itself pretty well in that one, despite the loss and then beat Texas in walk-off fashion, RBI, a run-scoring hit for Dylan Leach in walk-off fashion. And then, as we said, mentioned, or as we mentioned, they're playing TCU right now. And a quick, a cool moment in that Mizzou game, Dylan Leach, Arkansas transfer, gets the game-winning hit, and Arkansas fans are there for Arkansas's game coming up. And um, they started calling the Hogs for Dylan Leach because it's just an homage to the former Razorback player. And so that was cool. And he also was presented with his with uh, he was given a moment with those fans and with his former teammates and all that stuff. Just a cool deal for Dylan Leach. In addition to, of course, the biggest thing, getting a walk off hit for the Tigers. I will lob this over the fence to you, Mark, now that I've rattled all of that off. Who is most impressive the teams in the SEC in this field? I think Arkansas certainly just you. <sighs> With the, when they lost Jackson Wiggins, you wondered how the pitching staff was going to go. And with the way that they were able to step up, it was a Hagen Smith on Friday. And then with McIntyre on Saturday, what you get, what you're getting with him, I think he just ran into a TCU team that is just, I think it was as much them as him. I think based on his track record, I don't know that they're that concerned about him, but those are the kinds of guys for Arkansas. 
I don't have any question on their offense. I think they're going to hit. They've got Van Horn's teams always hit, and they just plug guys in. I'm confident there. The question is going to be, are they going to pitch enough? And I don't know that we have an answer yet, but they certainly pitched well enough, I think. And I think they're going to be a, a solid team. I think Vandy is the other high-level pitching staff, a lot of elite guys. They just got to prove it, right? And I think that's going to be the key for them, or can they be consistent the other part of this is Vandy offensively, just who's going to step up and be those middle-of-the-order run producers. That, that was a question I had for them. And we're starting to get some of the answers, right, on, on those kinds of things. And then for Missouri, the concern I had for Missouri is you're playing three really good opponents. Don't get swept. You, and to have that moment, to get the walk-off win, that, that's, that just does wonders for your confidence, right, that you can compete with some of the best teams in college baseball. So then when you go and you're playing SEC teams week in, week out, you have that little bit extra confidence. Hey, we belong. We're just as good as they are. And, and it was certainly competitive on Friday, and we'll see what happens in the final, in the finale Sunday. But they, they proved that they're they're – Played with some of the best teams in the Big 12, which are one of the, some of the best teams in the country, and held our own. So I think that's kind of where I am on Globe Life. Yeah, I think I think you can generally say that all three teams played well, except when they played TCU. And part of that is Texas had a rough yeah. a rough weekend, after, especially after the first game where they lose a narrow one to Arkansas. It was just a rough last couple of days there for Texas. And Oklahoma State's pretty thin on the mound. I, I haven't really examined it closely, but they've got some injury issues and like they're starting from behind the eight ball in terms of their pitching staff and they don't have all of their primary options there. And so TCU has been the most impressive team, but then I think in some order, it's the next three SEC teams in terms of who performed best in this tournament. I'm with you. It feels like Arkansas and Vanderbilt are in a dead heat as to which team impressed most here. I'm with you, Hagen Smith. That's a big thing for that team, especially without Jackson Wiggins. He's going to need to be the guy. Hunter Holland threw the ball, I thought, in the Sunday game. Like he's another guy there. He's the piece that was probably going to be, he's the piece that was probably going to be the extra part, if you will, for lack of a better way of putting that. And I don't mean that in a pejorative way, but he was a midweek guy or a reliever that's now been moved in the rotation. I thought he, he, handled himself well and offensively yeah like I have a lot of confidence that this team is going to hit Jared Wegner had a huge weekend the Creighton transfer big weekend for him Vanderbilt Jonathan Vastine big weekend I think that's big for them he's a guy that I think I think of more of as a defensive piece but he really had a good offensive weekend Parker Noland had a good offensive weekend I think that's huge for them he's a veteran piece that it feels like there's a little bit more in the tank for him if you're going to be concerned about Vander Carter Holton threw the ball well, but if you're going to be concerned with Vanderbilt, you know, they had some bullpen slip ups. TCU ran away and hid from them on Friday. <laughs> and if we want to hand wave that away because TCU is playing so well, hey, I, I'm I'm okay to do that because TCU is playing so well. But Oklahoma State got back in that game late too. They were blowing the doors off Oklahoma State on Saturday and the Cowboys found their way back in. I think it was a six run seventh or eighth inning or something along those lines. That's where the concern is, but I personally don't have a ton of concern there because I think the guys they're going to be leaning on hardest out of the bullpen threw the ball pretty well. Maldonado and Schultz and Kanich threw the ball pretty well. Some walk issues with walks here and there for him, but I think they, so. I think the guys they're going to be leaning on most in that unit pitched pitched well, and so I'm not overly concerned about that. Even though that is where I would nitpick the performance Vanderbilt had. So I don't think anybody in the of the SEC trio comes out of the Globe Life weekend thinking anything but relatively positive things about how they performed. Every win they got is going to be a 
quality win on the resume. Nobody mm-hmm. took any bad losses in terms of that. And y'all got, unless Mizzou turns this game around, y'all got beat soundly by TCU, but it seems like that might just be the cost of doing business, at least this weekend. That just is what it is. But g- good weekend all around, I think. I think we learned a little something about a lot of different teams. But I, I certainly didn't come out of this, even with Mizzou, I certainly didn't come out of this thinking any, anything negatively about the way they competed. Yeah. Um, let's move on to Mississippi State, why don't we? That was a series I did not expect to be paying really any attention to. And through the first day of the season, that was that was the case. But, oh boy, things went sideways on Saturday. And it wasn't just a loss. You'll, Kentucky lost 2 nothing to Elon, and that's not great. But you come out of that going like, hey, you know what? Elon's got a great pitcher on Fridays, a tricky little lefty who was the rookie of the year in the Colonial last season. Okay, you know what? You know, it happens. But losing the way they did where it was just, a, they got a really short start out of Casey Hunt who was having trouble finding the plate. And then it just continued from there. Like none of, I think they threw five guys. None of them were particularly effective. They walked, Mark, you might have the numbers a little more handy, but I think they walked 11 allowed 13 stolen bases, which is, that's the number that's just in 13 stolen bases. Cause that has to be so, it's one thing to walk people. Like we see that in college baseball, that just happens, Mm -hmm. but to just get run all over by a team, you just don't expect to come from a team like VMI getting run all over like that. And so anyways, they lose that game in ugly fashion. And they, on Sunday, it's a three, three game after five innings. And it, they had a 4-3 lead in the eight. They broke it open with a big eighth inning. And it, so it makes it look, with a 9-3 to three score, it makes it look like it was a, like a fairly comfortable win. But that is not at all the case. And so I think the big thing with Mississippi State is it, it's twofold here. Losses will happen even to inferior competition. But A, that the Saturday game was ugly. And B, it plays into concerns that we had about Mississippi State going into the season. We had questions about the mound. And unfortunately, with that Saturday game, and even a little bit Sunday, Gartman was was good on Sunday. I wouldn't have called him great, but he was good. But that loss, the weekend in general, kind of does play into the worries that we had. And so that, I think that has to make you a little apprehensive about this team moving forward. Something to monitor for sure. Yeah, they led 10-1 to 1 on Saturday and lost. The I mean, win probably... Yeah. The win probability was 100%, and they lost. Okay. You're Mississippi State. What is your baseball budget? You're playing VMI. What is their baseball budget? You should never lose this game, ever, especially when you go up 10 to 1. <laughs> the win probability said they literally couldn't lose it. Right. I think we just disproved 100%. win probability. I just think <laughs> that I was, I forgot about that detail, honestly, that they were up that big. I knew that, but it's just, yeah, it wasn't even like a back and forth. Cause sometimes you get into these ugly back and forths where it's just like you get dragged down into the mud with a team, but this wasn't that they were on the way to boat racing the key deaths. Yeah. And the, the stolen bases you refer to last year with Logan Tanner behind the plate, Opponents stole 24 bases all season. Had more than half of that in one game Saturday. After one guy stole three Friday. I didn't look at Sunday. But that's concerning, right? It's So it's just a question. But I think, but on the bright side, offensively, they swung the bats great, right? The transfers came in and really hit the ball well. Hitting the ball out of the park, hitting doubles. That's a really scary offense that's going to give people problems all year. And if they figure it out on the mound, everything's cool, right? 
They just got to figure it out pitching wise, throwing strikes, holding runners, and then throwing them out when they run. So it's it's one of those weekends where, you know, maybe a month from now we look back and go, what in the world happened that Saturday? This is a really good team. Or it's one of those where we go, okay, we saw the cracks in the armor opening weekend. And so it's too early to tell, obviously. Opening weekend, that's the way this works, right? You're throwing a whole bunch of pitchers because nobody's stretched out. A lot of times you got bad weather, you got it's really windy, or it's cold, or it's raining, or whatever. And it's just not baseball yet. Not the way it's going to be in May. So I don't want to overreact to somebody having a bad day, but this is talk radio, so that's what we do. But anyway, Mississippi State, they've got Arizona State coming in the next weekend. High profile opponent, a lot of eyes on them. It will be interesting to see how they respond. Agreed. I will be in Starkville for at least one day of that series. I'll be doing the Oxford-Starkville double this coming weekend. So I will see at least one of those games in Starkville. And yeah, definitely looking forward to seeing that because I don't have to tell you that Arizona State's a step up from VMI, at least on paper and talent-wise. Yeah, we'll have to see. I will be eagerly anticipating that. Let's move on to LSU. And before we do anything else, the elephant in the room is the Tommy White injury news. He gets removed from the game on Friday. Yeah. Shoulder injury. He's taken out of the game. There's a lot of unknowns here. One, if this was a how bad is the injury, it was downplayed by Jay Johnson in, in post game that day. So maybe it's really not much of anything. Maybe if this was a conference series, he would have toughed it out. Understanding the context of Western Michigan, opening weekend, all of that, he doesn't play the rest of the weekend. Perhaps by the time you've listened to this, we will have further information. At this point, we do not. We will just have to stay tuned on that. Mark and I, of course, will react to whatever that is whenever we get more information there. I am certain, but. I really want to turn over this section to Mark. Mark was in Baton Rouge on Friday, got to see Paul Skeens live and in living color. Tell me a little bit about what you saw from Skeens, Mark, and then bigger picture, what it was like to be back at Alec Box and what that experience was for you. Yeah, it's my first time to see Skeens live. Oh boy, he put on a show. He's this big towering guy. He's what, 6'6", 250 and it's lean and he's just an in-your-face intimidating pitcher, right? He's coming right at you, 98. His first pitch was 99, and he threw 97, 98 all night or all day. It was three o'clock start. But the whole he threw, what, six innings and had 12 strikeouts, and really he didn't have to throw much else. He threw his slider a little bit. It was mid-80s, and it was good because really they were geared up for 98. And he has a change, and he didn't really have to throw it. I think he threw one. If he pitches like that, he's a problem. And one expects him to pitch like that because he, he looked like a big leaguer out there. He really looked I – mean, he was just overpowering. LSU has an interesting roster, you know, where they have – they probably have 15, 16 guys who you would feel comfortable putting in their lineup, every, their everyday lineup. It's – it, there's going to be a, a different lineup every day based on the matchup, based on who's hot, based on who had good BP, whatever. Maybe he's throwing darts. I don't know. But it, he's, there's so many options to to fill out that lineup. It's an embarrassment of riches. It, it is. And I think the interesting part, when Tommy White goes out and doesn't play the rest of the weekend, he played one one inning all weekend. And they, lineup, they put in Gavin Duga second base for the second two games. He was the hitter of the weekend. He had hit a couple of bombs and a whole bunch of hits. And he wasn't even an everyday starter. So it's yeah, they just got so many, so many players. The question for me is, how do you find them all playing time? How do you keep them all ready? There's so much talent. That is a 
it, it's funny. I was driving back Friday night and I was thinking to myself, they're the number one team in the nation. And there were things about them that I really hadn't considered. Was I underrating them to be the number one team in the nation? Then I thought, oh, Mark, don't get, don't, don't get over your skis here. It's one game. But they just got so many weapons compared to a normal team that, that we're used to evaluating. So it's we'll see. I did think that against Western Michigan, they didn't hit the ball. Maybe they didn't they weren't as productive as perhaps you would expect against a team that really hadn't been outside much. I thought I would see a little bit more offense the next two days than we got. But again, you don't want to overreact. You see the ability, the, the pieces that they have, and it'll be interesting to, as things progress, right, how this transforms. What do they do with a lot of schemes as a two-way guy who hasn't batted yet? There's no place for him. They don't need him to hit. So what does this look like? They started three true freshmen, and they look great. This is And they pitched. They, not just schemes like they, everybody they put in was back it's just a it's like an all-star team and but that has its own issues where you're trying to keep everybody game ready and finding enough playing time for everyone so it's just it's fascinating it really is they should trade all those excess pieces for prospects or draft picks is what they should do <laughs> they yeah should, for next year yeah. <laughs> yeah, they, should, they should just trade for someone else's work although they don't need other people's recruits because they had the number one recruiting class too so i don't know they're just gonna have excess players like yeah so you know on field a good look at skeins and that that all-star lineup but ultimately on field tough to know what to glean there lsu goes to round rock this coming weekend and we'll see a step up in competition Mm -hmm. that will be interesting to see from here we will zoom forward a little bit with some of these results can we start to get into the stuff that's not quite as pertinent but auburn had an interesting series they played indiana i wrote about this in the weekend preview indiana good offensive club has some holes on the pitching staff so i thought auburn could do some things offensively um, they did the first couple games of the series, but I thought Indiana would get them offensively, and they did on Sunday. Auburn wins a series with wins of eight to four and six to one the first two days, loses eleven to two on Sunday. That one kind of got away from them. A little bit of, of a mixed bag for Auburn, I thought. Joseph Gonzalez was very good in his start, no surprise there. There are still questions about what they're going to get in the rotation around him. Chase also was the big name to watch there. and It didn't go so well for him in his first start on opening day. The bullpen picked up Auburn the first couple of days of the series. Not so much on Sunday. And the offense didn't do a lot either against Indiana, so they never really got back in that game. I thought a good series win for Auburn. Indiana's talented. I don't know how good they will or won't be within the context of the Big Ten and regionals, but but a, a talented team. And so I thought that was overall just a, a good series win. Mark, do you have anything there? Do you want to roll forward? Well, yeah, just the just figuring out Sunday that who's going to who's going to be there. Through Nelson, he I don't think he made it out of the first, right? So it's just it's freshman's big moment, your first start, those things happen. Um so it's just it, it'll be interesting to see where they go. From that, did they run him back out there next week, or is there another guy who gets a shot? Because that's the question. I think they're going to hit. Ike Irish was really good, three-hole hitter freshman. He was six for thirteen with three doubles for the weekend. That, they'll get it done. Yeah, that'll play. Yeah. Yeah. Georgia took on Jacksonville State. Jacksonville State, in the grand scheme of things, pretty solid mid-major outfit. Before they they were in the OVC for a while, and they were typically one of the better clubs in that league. We have to understand the context of that, but still, Georgia had some trouble. They lose eight to five in the opener. They bounce back to win ten to three and ten to five the next two days to clinch the series. But I think that the big headline there from Georgia is. Again, we talked about Mississippi State, how their results played into worries we had, and I think with Georgia, we're seeing it here. They especially last two games, 20 runs over the final two games. The offense was there, but the starting pitching 
continues to be a question for them. It was true all weekend, but the biggest thing was that Jaden Woods was just not good on Friday and he got hit around, struggled with walks. It was really on all fronts. And so if they're going to be able to support the offense, they need the rotation to be like we talked about in their preview episode, they're going to need the rotation to get sorted. And the ceiling seemed to be controlled, not entirely because that's too much to put on one person, but how good Jaden Woods was going to be as a Friday guy really seemed to control a lot of Georgia's ceiling. And I assume they're going to continue to give him opportunities to work into that. Mm-hmm. And like we said at the top, perhaps this week was an anomaly in that regard, but certainly that wasn't the way they would have wanted that to go. Yeah, they got eight innings out of their three starters, right? Yeah, that's, yeah. Even for opening day, that's really not what you're looking for. Opening weekend, I should say. That's tough to overcome. Yeah, you're really taxing your bullpen, and they have some guys down there, but still, you've got to pick up a lot of innings. So that that's the thing. Their offense was fine. In two weekends, I will see them play the rivalry series against Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech obviously can always swing it, and so that will be a challenge for that unit. I'll be looking forward to that. Okay, so what I'm going to do for the next little bit is I'm going to run through the headlines of everything else, Mark, and then when we get to the end of it, because we are now in the portion where these were mostly series that weren't all that competitive necessarily in a lot of cases, so I'll run through them, and Mark, you tell me what you find interesting about that. We You can touch on all of it, some of it, whatever. First things first, I was at Elon, Kentucky, visited Elon for the weekend, lost the opener two to nothing, won the final two games five to one. And four to nothing, you can find some more coverage of that over at SEC Extra. I wrote a few things on it. I also have a Kentucky-based player profile coming this week that I hope you'll read and enjoy at SEC Extra. The headline there is the pitching was great for Kentucky for the most part. One run over the final 23 innings of the series. The three starters, Logan Martin, Tyler Bosman, Zach Lee, gave up two runs and 17 innings total. And they've got a bunch of guys that came out of the bullpen. Darren Williams, Austin Strickland, Magdiel Cotto, Ryan Hagano, who could start. Too. Like It feels to me like Kentucky has a lot of different options who can do a lot of different things. The offense is going to have to get better. The offense was on the whole not very good this weekend. And I also don't know, Elon was not a good offensive club last year. My eyes tell me that they might struggle on that part in that side of the ball again this year. But understanding the you can only play the opponent in front of you you have to like what uk did on the mound good stuff there pitching wise for kentucky again there's more on that on sec extra if you want to check all that out speaking of good pitching florida dominated no surprise with sprout and waldrop necessarily but jack caglianone was great on sunday that's the big headline there i think for me alabama you can say the same for they played richmond so i get the opponent argument but Richmond was a pretty good A-10 offense last year. Hit and Hess and McNary were great. And of course, Hit and Hess are are two guys that we're looking at as maybe all conference types if they reach their potential. So that was big. The offense was also very good for Alabama. Mm -hmm. Ole Miss outscores Delaware 35 to 6. I think that's about all we need to say there. Although Hunter Elliott, Grayson Sonier, and Xavier Rivas were all very good in their starts. South Carolina bludgeoned UMass Lowell, which might have been the weakest team that any SEC club played this weekend. No disrespect. Looking impressive is better than the alternative. So there's that. And South Carolina really, that's what you want to do against a team that's overmatched. And then Texas A&M didn't have any trouble with Seattle. Jace Laviolette looks like a new star, hit two home runs on Saturday. Nathan Detmer struck out eight and four and two thirds in his start, what we expected there. So I threw a lot at you there, Mark. What are a couple of things that stand out to you from that? I think first thing is Alabama had a lot of expectations heading into the year. And we wondered, okay, how are they going to look? They got everything they wanted by starting pitching. But I think the thing that surprised me is how effective their offense was. And that they had double, what, double-digit runs each game and, and 
Andrew Pinckney looks like a different guy, really filled out. He's a different looking player and it, it translated to the field. He was very productive. I think the other thing is just what's Ole Miss going to look like having to come back and all of these expectations now that they've won the championship. What's the vibe of the team look like? And they swung it really well. They also got good pitching. They were dominating against Delaware. But they've got Maryland next weekend. So again, a huge series. That, that's probably the biggest one in the country. Certainly one of them next weekend. We'll find out a lot more about the Rebels. Absolutely. Yeah. It's looking like you touched on this in your weekend dish. It's looking like a pretty interesting weekend in the SEC on paper. Mm-hmm. We'll certainly talk a lot about that in my weekend preview that'll be out Thursday. Also look for, I've got a subscribers only podcast with a local beat writer. I'll leave it at that coming later this week. That'll be subscriber only kind of behind the, the paywall at SEC extra. So if you have not subscribed and you're listening to this, the free edition of this podcast, please uh, Mark and I would be humbled. If you would consider subscribing, you'll get all kinds of stuff on SEC extra, including, as I mentioned, some subscriber only podcasts of which we'll have one coming to you later this week. All kinds of new stuff coming up on SEC Extra this week. Go back and look at our running blog from the weekend if you want to get caught up. Read Mark's Weekend Dish to get a full download of everything that happened. Just felt like a really good first weekend of SEC play in terms of we had some interesting stuff. We had some stuff that allowed us to compartmentalize and allowed us to put some training wheels on as Mark and I try to figure out a flow here at SEC Extra and what our coverage is going to look like. So thanks for those of you who've subscribed. Thanks for hanging with us, reading us on the opening weekend of the season. And if you've not subscribed, we hope we'll be able to get you on board before things are all said and done here during the 2023 season. That is going to do it for this edition of Highway to Hoover, brought to you by Brock's Gap Brewing Company in Hoover, Alabama. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon. You know you need protein to fuel results, but it's not easy when you're drinking the same bland chalky shake every day. Stop punishing yourself and get to GNC for the best protein in the game, including all the hottest brands and crave-worthy flavors that'll keep you coming back for more. We're talking protein that legit tastes like cookies, your favorite cereals, indulgent desserts, and more. So bust out of your protein rut and actually look forward to those shakes with unbeatable protein at unbeatable prices. Fuel your fitness with protein at GNC. Are you struggling to lower your bad LDL cholesterol, even though you may be taking a statin, swapping steaks for salads, and exercising while listening to this podcast? Ask your doctor if Repatha Evolocumab is right for you. With Repatha, you can dramatically reduce bad cholesterol and the risk of another heart attack while enjoying life, too, because you're human. And with convenient self-administration, you can take Repatha in the comfort of your own home. Do not take Repatha if you're allergic to it. Repatha can cause serious allergic reactions. Signs include trouble breathing or swallowing, or swelling of the face. Most common side effects include runny nose, sore throat, common cold symptoms, flu or flu-like symptoms, back pain, high blood sugar and redness, pain, or bruising at the injection site. Visit Repatha.com or call 1-844-REPATHA. Talk to your doctor today about Repatha.